Welcome to Strike Deck Radio, a podcast focused on customer success and the leaders who are implementing best practices in our field. This podcast is brought to you by Strike Deck, a Medallia company, and the Success League. StrikeDeck is a customer success automation platform that helps CSMs effectively manage their customer relationships. The StrikeDeck solution enables churn prevention, upsells, and customer advocacy. They use machine learning and predictive analytics to bubble up insights and alerts about customer health, sentiment, and engagement. The Success League is a consulting firm focused on customer success. We work with executives who are ready to build and develop a top-performing customer success team that drives retention and revenue for their organization. We also offer a certification program for CSMs and coaching for customer success leaders. For more information, you can visit our website at thesuccessleague.io. My name is Kristen Hare, and I'm the host of Strike Deck Radio and the founder and CEO of the Success League. Today, I'm joined by Lynn Soflius, a serial customer success leader, and we'll be discussing tactics for building a digital or self-service customer success program. We're going to be zeroing in on her experience at Insightly, where she was able to develop a primarily digital program, talking about how she built that out and giving you some practical tips on how to move forward with that kind of a program if you're in a similar situation. So Lynn, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Kristen. I'm super excited to be here. I always love sharing best practices and insights on customer success. So again, thanks for having me. No problem. Can you take us through your customer success career path and share with the audience how you ended up in success? Sure. I'd love to. So um, I actually spent about a decade at Microsoft and was in product management, marketing, and sales roles. And I bring that up because that background actually set the foundation for um, leading customer success teams You know, more recently in the last few years. And I've led mm-hmm. customer success teams at Insightly, at LinkedIn, uh, Kiva.org, and a few clients. So I've built and led teams that are focused both in the SMB space as well as the enterprise space. Perfect. Um, Tell us a little bit about Insightly. How did you determine that a digital customer success program was the right kind of program to put in place for that organization? What were the markers that you saw there? And I guess I'd also love to know how you think about this in organizations in general. For digital customer success program, I have found this to be tremendously useful for most companies, uh, whether they're focusing on the SMB space or the enterprise space. Um, and where I found it actually most impactful is for customer success managers. It just makes their life much, much easier if you have a robust uh, digital customer success program. So when mm-hmm. I think about digital customer success, I think about you know, all the things that are available to a customer without human interaction. So that could be anything from a knowledge base to videos, to a community, to marketing uh, content. But specifically, when you asked me, you know, what are the markers that I saw or sort of what was obvious, you know, when I was in my role at Insightly was that we had this absolutely massive user base. We had over 1 million customers and over 200 customers. So there was clearly no option to have a high touch you know, sort of white glove experience for every customer. So I, from right. the get go, I would say early on out the gate was thinking about scale, 
um, and scalable programs, and and certainly some humans, but more on the scale side. So yeah, really giving customers, I would say, the opportunity not only to learn from us, but from their peers as well, which also can be d- done through digital programs, um, and to give them tools that they need to be successful. So the first marker for me was that I had mm-hmm. a massive user base and that they were worldwide. And then I would say the the second piece for me was you know, what do really, what do customers need? When do they want it? How can I provide it? And when I think about customer success, I think everyone should get the same thing during customer success, meaning onboarding, you know, the customer journey. What's different is how you mm-hmm. give it to them. Is it through a person or right. is it through a marketing message or is it through an in-app uh, message? Um, those are the things I think that vary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think cost structure too. I mean, you know, you could have a a company with a lot of customers and as long as those customers are paying a decent amount of money, I think you could afford to have more of a high touch type of a program. But if you have a cost structure that's pretty low in terms of, you know, what the customers are buying, I think that also might be a factor to think about when you're thinking about whether or not you need a digital program. And I agree with you. I think most companies can benefit from some level of digital engagement. Yeah, I think also part of it is, how do customers like to learn? Not everybody wants right. to be on the phone with a CSM or in a meeting with a CSM to learn a solution. People are so more, so much more comfortable with digital um, tools and education that they, you know, often prefer, you know, having a tip in the moment or, you know, I'm going to listen to this webinar while I'm multitasking to learn about a solution. So I think really kind of meeting your users where they're at, you know, some people prefer to read, they'll mm-hmm. read an FAQ and they know right. that hey, it may be an hour that a CSM is not available, but how can I provide those tools that um, people absorb and learn at different in different ways and making sure I meet my customers where they're at? Yeah, I love it. And I think demographics play into that a little bit too. I mean, I think, you know, depending on who your audience is and who your customers are, some of them are are digital natives that are much more comfortable looking up things online rather than trying to engage, um, you know, with a person. And so (laughs) I think that's something to take into account too. For sure, for sure. So once you determined that you needed a self-service program, what were some of the first steps in building that out? Yeah, so the things that I first think about, um, and I would say regardless of this is digital or not digital, is, you know, what do I want my customer journey to look like? So from the get-go, as soon as a customer signs on, what do I want their onboarding experience to be like? What do I want them doing in Mm -hmm. our solution or with a human or um, as they interact with our self-service tools? So what does that onboarding look like? And then further, you know, what's the customer journey look like? And I bring that up because Mm -hmm. all of your self-service materials, as well as your people, should then follow that consistent, you know, onboarding experience that you've laid out and similarly your customer journey that's been laid out. So then all of your self-service materials have a path to follow. So whether it's, you know, customer marketing 
that a, you know, a marketing message that a customer gets right when they sign up? What are the things that they're being told to do? What is the in-app guidance experience? It should be as consistent and the same as in customer marketing. It's just a different way to provide it. Or if my CSMs are doing webinars, are we walking them through that same onboarding experience and customer journey? So there's you know, additional tools like a knowledge base or videos or a community but sort of the general idea is like, what is the experience that you're giving them in your product and how are all of these tools um, guiding your users through the product so that they are deep into your product and using it on a regular basis? Yeah, I like that approach. I think that it kind of focuses on the overall experience. And I think one of the advantages of doing that too is that, you know, whether your program is digital or self-service or whether it's high touch, you still want to be delivering an excellent journey and it should still be an excellent journey. And then you can kind of take it in either direction from a tactics standpoint. So I like that design methodology that you laid out. That's great. I would agree with that. And I would just add, you know, I think when you can make, um, whether it's your self-service materials or the experience or the progress of the customer journey, fun or gamify it or interactive, you're likely to have, you know, an even better experience. Again, whether that's self-service or through a CSM sort of celebrating, hey, a customer just finished their onboarding um, and, and maybe even mirror that with a progress bar, I think also, um, makes an experience positive for a customer and really sort of leveraging those self-service materials does a lot. Yeah. I, I feel like we don't do nearly enough gamification in B2B. I mean, it's human nature. I, I, I mean, I'm assuming it's human nature. It's my human nature and the human nature of my family members. But I love it when yeah. I have an app or a tool that I'm using where I can see progress or I get badges or yeah. whatever. And, you know, I would love that with a business tool just the same way I would love it for the things I use in my personal life. So I think we should do more of that in B2B. For sure. Even like a little... Virtual trophy would work. <laughs> oh, yeah, I would love that. <laughs> um, so as you were building out the team, um, you know, what were the roles that you filled? Since it, it probably wasn't CSMs, it was other kinds of roles. And why were those roles important to your program? So I think you're exactly right. I, I will say, though, initially, one of the first things I did, I, I had inherited four reactive support people, but I did immediately put someone okay. into a proactive customer success manager role. We had some top accounts that just needed attention. But to your point, um, the next two hires were those scalable kind of roles and programs I talked about before. One was a customer marketer mm-hmm. where okay. they were focused on what's the experience post sale. So our marketing leader uh, really was responsible for brand and lead generation. And then as soon as the customer signed, my team took over and we were responsible for the onboarding and the customer journey and also partnering with marketing to drive meaningful content to customers. So the first role was that customer marketer. And then the second role was a community manager um, to really sort of help drive engagement, retention and adoption um, and I just tremendous value from those two roles, as well as um, a content person who wrote our, you know, a killer knowledge base. Oh, that's great. You're really lucky to have that person. <laughs> yes, they do wonders because it's not 
it's not a trivial thing to keep a knowledge base updated. And if it's not updated, it's useless. Yes, exactly. And I feel like, unfortunately, if there, in a lot of teams, there, there isn't that person. And then it falls to the CSMs or the support reps to be keeping stuff up to date in the knowledge base. And it's really hard to squeeze that in amongst all the other things they're doing. I would agree. And, and sometimes you'll even have multiple CSMs trying to keep it up to date and versus, and it, and it just makes their job harder, right? They don't want to be writing. They yeah. don't know where the latest FAQ is. It's just, it, that's why when I mentioned earlier about sort of having great self-service and knowledge-based materials really helps your CSMs. Yeah. When we were talking before this interview, you mentioned that you had a data science team involved in the development process as well. What role did they play and how did you engage with them? Yes, they were tremendously helpful. And I just found they were helpful in what I would call validating sort of a gut check or validating common sense, but also bringing other things to light. And so what I mean by that is, you know, when I was running customer success at Insightly, which is a CRM application, you know, common sense told me I wanted my customers doing certain things in Insightly as soon as possible. So import your contacts, Mm -hmm. use our mobile app, connect your CRM system with another app, all those things that show you're committed to the product um, and we'll be using it Mm -hmm. and it will be much harder to pull out. So what we did is just so we could move quickly, we initially um, guided our users with those things I just mentioned in terms of the features. The data scientist mm-hmm. helped validate that and those features, but also made me realize, hey, there are some other features that we need to be driving our users to because the data scientist really helped me you know, validate if they use these seven features in the first 15 to 30 days, I am most likely going to keep them. You know, they were essentially drive, yeah. you know, driving customers towards retention. And, you know, as you likely know, and I've seen this with many customers um, of many different types of businesses, a lot of customers are what I would call light users. You know, you see like 70 to yeah. 80% of customers are just using 20% of features. And that's a bad place to be because they're just what I would mm-hmm. call light users. But this idea of you know, be very systematic about driving your customers towards certain features, combination of your common sense and validating with a data scientist um, can really help you drive your customers deep into the features. But then I think on a, on a macro level, you've got to have that customer success plan, right? What's the, why did they sign up for this product? What are their goals to make sure not only they're doing the features, but also you know, meeting their overall objectives for why they signed up for your solution and what success means to them. Yeah, I think that's great. I like um, how you use data science. Um, Not everyone has the luxury of having data scientists in their organization, but um, it's always worth asking you, you know, even if you are in customer success, I think you may be surprised by where data science lives inside your organization um, that you didn't even know was there. Um, I had a company I worked for for a while where data science actually lived on the finance team. And so... It's worth asking around to see, you know, maybe there are resources in your organization that you don't even know about. Right. Well, I know when I was at LinkedIn, we had a separate insights team altogether, and they were just a powerful, mm-hmm. powerful group. But uh, it, when I was at Insightly, it was actually sat in marketing. So you are definitely right. They can sit all over the place. 
Yeah, they do. <laughs> um, I want to ask about deliverables for the program. I know um, you mentioned a few earlier, but um, what were some of the initial deliverables that you put into place? Did you rely on email or was in-app messaging a big part of what you put in place? What were all those components? So we had um, a lot of different components, sure, like many, many others or many other companies and customer success leaders. Uh, one of them I talked about a little bit already. Um, and one is sort of just understanding the data and laying out your onboarding experience and your customer journey, like literally mapping that mm-hmm. out so that everybody um, on the team or, the, or the, even the company knows what that uh, experience should be from onboarding to customer mm-hmm. journey. But I would even extend that even to the first interaction with sales or the first interaction with marketing because you want your customers to have that consistent experience. But then I would also mm-hmm. add there are things, you know, like having that great knowledge base we talked about that's just easily available, searchable, mm-hmm. and up to date. I mm-hmm. would also add, you know, having short videos and tutorials or recorded webinars coming mm-hmm. back to, you know, people like to learn. Some people are better readers. Some people are better sort of audio learners. Mm-hmm. Other things I think that are valuable are, you know, customer marketing. And I think that can be about onboarding. It can be about driving customers further into the journey. But I also think it's partnering with your marketing team to, to provide that same, same great marketing or thought leadership content that's provided to prospects, you know, also provide that to your customers. They are really looking to you for that guidance. Uh, then the last thing mm-hmm. I'll mention is, you know, I'm a super f- big fan of product analytic solutions like Intercom uh, that provide yeah. uh, that in-app guidance. I know you mentioned that earlier. You know, if someone's, you know, we talk about that customer journey, what you want your customers doing. If you see a set of users that aren't using a feature that's tremendously valuable, you know, you can message, send them a message through the in-app tool that you're using and whether that's pointing them to an FAQ or a webinar um, to really sort of continue to help them or just a little message about how to use it can really go mm-hmm. a long way, you know, in meeting them where they're at right when they're in their product, in the product. Yeah, that's great. I love it. I love the apps that I use that provide in-app coaching. And I think that more and more people are getting used to that. So I think that's an important component of a digital program like this. For sure. Before we continue with the rest of the interview, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. I want to let you know about a special live podcast coming up. Strike Deck Radio and Helping Cells Radio are teaming up for one night only, September 26th at the Service Rocket office in Palo Alto, California. Bill Couchard, the host of Helping Cells Radio, and I will be talking about our favorite episodes, sharing things we have learned about customer success from our guests, and answering your questions about our podcasts. Join us for this live podcast on September 26th at 5.30 p.m. in Palo Alto. For more information, check the link in this podcast description or go to meetup.com and search for 2019 September Palo Alto CS Meetup. We hope you'll join us. The Success League offers a research-based certification program for CSMs. This 16-class series is based on a study we conducted on the various fields that CSMs are coming from and the skills and strengths they are bringing to the table. 
Our comprehensive certification course helps CSMs build knowledge in new areas and enhances the background they already have. Our online classes are instructor-led by seasoned customer success leaders and include tools and exercises that CSMs and managers can use to extend learning beyond the class. Our program is designed to drive knowledge retention, meaningful change, and real results. For more information and our fall schedule, please visit thesuccessleak.io. And now back to the podcast. So Lynn, did you have any human efforts going into customer success while you were building out the automation? And if so, what did your CS team do and how did you make that transition? So we had uh, a couple of CSMs going who were responsible okay. for a set of customers. Uh, you know, I would say what most um, CSMs do around providing onboarding, checking in regularly with mm-hmm. customers and doing QBRs, you know, providing best practices or new feature rollout and training. We had all of that going um, while we were building out the digital uh, self-service component. They were also, I would say, the CSMs were absolutely instrumental in, you know, they would build, help build out our webinar series and making sure we have a calendar of webinars going And they also at times, you know, we had people at times who we had to do support and and proactive customer success while we were making this transition um, into the digital world as into digital customer success as really as well as just standardizing what a CSM does. I know today, right? I see this frequently um, where CSMs are just doing all kinds of things, whether that's their Mm-hmm. Doing partly reactive support, some onboarding, some account management, some renewal, and all of a sudden the business wants to scale. You've got to change that. And right. you know, I think we see many of these CSMs and organizations. Uh, they're having to do things. You know, they're sort of building things and at the same time executing to make sure you know the lights are still on. So yes, I definitely had <laughs> CSMs uh, doing onboarding and ongoing management and QBRs of our customers and ensuring renewals would happen. You know, at the same time we would you know hired a community manager, which was such a key role for us, um, and and had to sort of build as we went. We had to totally overhaul our. Um, knowledge base. Uh, we had to frequently f- uh, freshen, refresh our videos because it's just the product changes. Mm-hmm. It's just inevitable. You've got to go back and keep doing that. And I have to be honest, I don't think that ever changes because your product is often yeah. getting more complicated. So um, what I see more is people really specializing more in roles, right? So you have just onboarders and you have just mm-hmm. account managers um, otherwise, I, I think it's just too hard to scale. And the CSM job, as we know, can be so hard. And so I think being crystal clear about this is what a CSM does. Here are the, the digital efforts mm-hmm. to support you and to support, you know, obviously your customers. What role did your marketing team really play in your efforts to produce a digital program? Did you have your own marketing resource or did you have to reach out to your marketing team to get them to produce materials for you? I guess I'd love to understand more about your relationship with marketing and how that plays into the development of a digital program. We had a great uh, partnership with our marketing team. 
my marketing peer and I decided the customer marketer would sit on my team and was measured by churn and renewal. Okay. So they were a true member of the customer success team in that, you know, often marketing roles are measured by legion or brand. You know, my headcount was absolutely dedicated to um, retaining customers and growing the customer base. So mm-hmm. we did though, like I said, partner very much with marketing in that we often needed content from them. So we could often use exactly what they had produced, right? So maybe they did a thought leadership piece um, or a white paper, and we could leverage that and market that Mm -hmm. to our customers. But there was a time I remember where we said, hey, we would love to see like a benchmarking study. Like what are, you know, what is our target base thinking about in the next year? What is keeping them up at night? And let's use that survey or that data to then use it with our customers who always love to hear mm-hmm. about what their peers are doing so that they can learn. We also, you know, the customer marketer did their own, you know, series of communications for onboarding. In the first 14 days, we had seven communications going out to make sure customers were using certain features. As they use those features, we would start to introduce other features around getting them deeper into the product so that they, you know, were using 20 features and not just the first five and onboarding. So we definitely used it as a way to um, provide thought leadership to our customers and also to educate users Mm -hmm. who are not day-to-day users. So oftentimes, as you know, the person who buys the solution maybe gets in the product like once a month or that decision maker moves (laughs) and now all of a sudden the renewal is gone and no one's even heard of the product. You know, that customer marketing is a powerful engine. When I was at LinkedIn, we are, my enterprise um, reps had to have five people identified in Salesforce um, for, Mm -hmm. and three for mid-market. And the sole purpose was so that the marketing team could start marketing to them because it, this happens all the time where a champion leaves and you want to um, continue to drive that relationship and having other um, contacts are really important. But coming back to the customer marketer that I had at Insightly, they were um, instrumental in providing that leadership content, self-service content, or excuse me, let me try that again. They were instrumental in providing uh, uh-huh. leadership content as well as new feature content and onboarding content um, and, and driving even our customers into our community because that was the most powerful place to have our customers was in our community where we could have ongoing engagement with them and they could engage with peers as well mm-hmm. as Insightly team members um, because whether it's engagement with other customers with Insightly or the solution, all of that drives retention and growth of your solution and your your user base. Got it. What role do you see a customer community playing in a program like this? And how would you recommend approaching a customer community project? Well, I am an infomercial for community. I think it is one of the absolute <laughs> most powerful, powerful uh, tools I saw results that I didn't expect, um, when I was, when I was in Insightly. And I, I think there's, in deciding to use a community, 
I think it's really like, who, who's your user? Is your user somebody that uh-huh. will use a community, right? So if it's like a remote field service person, they're unlikely to go into a community, right? Versus if it's your target right. audience is a customer service person, they'll probably use a community or a small business. They'll probably use a community or the more technical your audiences, they, they'll likely use a community. But there's just definitely some roles in some of the businesses that I've worked with where I've said, I just, this isn't a fit. It's not a fit for your user base. There are other tools for you. But mm-hmm. in general, when community is something that will work with your users, you, you absolutely should. There's so many benefits from um, using it that um, I highly recommend it. I think there's like about a dozen things that need to be done when you um, are creating a community. And honestly, the first thing is to hire a community manager. This is in no way a part-time yeah. role. I don't think it's someone, something that something, excuse me, something that someone can do on a part-time basis. Um, because what can happen is your I agree. can just sort of blow up and you can get a very negative experience, which I think hurts your users as well as prospects. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen, I've seen companies kind of try to do this in a half-hearted sort of a way, mm-hmm. <laughs> or get away with having you know less staff on this. And if you're going to do a community, you really need to do it because um, for for a couple of reasons. One, you need somebody managing the negative feedback that will inevitably be part of the community and kind of monitoring and making sure that stuff gets pulled down quickly if anything ends up on your um, community that isn't appropriate. So someone has to be monitoring for that all the time. And then um, I think on the flip side, you need somebody who's, who's trying to create that engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, and re- that takes effort. It, it's not like you're going to turn your community on, throw your customers in it, and all of a sudden they're going to start talking to each other. You have to kind of drive that and grow it over time. And I think people forget that that's a process and takes a person to run it. So I absolutely agree with you on that one. I think you're right. And just building on that, I think, you know, you have to have fresh content in there to bring people back. Um, You can use it as a place to have your customers vote on features. So Mm -hmm. when the product team is making priorities about what to do, you know, in the next release, they have a place to go because all of your customers have just voted. And I think it's, it's, a great mm-hmm. way to just like you said, engage your customers. Maybe there's a feature that's a little bit challenging. You know, you can run an ask the expert experience, ask the expert series in your community. Mm-hmm. Con- we were fans of contests. Everybody loves a contest, just like they love gamification. Yes. People, we used to do yes. contests around you know the uh, something fun, and then also something about the product. So we said submit. Yeah. How you use Insightly. You know, and they'd send us a fun video. We did a, another contest where we said, how does it, or what does Insightly do? Or what does it give you more free time to do? And people were sending us things like they get to go to Paris or they get to go spend time with their family. And people <laughs> just loved seeing those, cool. whether it was selfies or videos about what they do. And I think it drives uh, loyalty to the brand and to the product. So obviously, yeah. like I said, I'm an infomercial for community. <laughs> you are, but that's a good thing. Um, many companies are really looking at the cost of their customer success programs right now. And I think they're wondering a 
about ways to reduce the cost. And frankly, a digital program is one of those ways. How would you recommend a company go about exploring whether a self-service program is really the right thing for them? I think it comes back to really, I'm actually struggling to find a, a place where it's not useful in that people are are so more digitally oriented. I think Mm -hmm. they would think a company's just missing the boat by not having, you know, and self-service is so broad, right? So sure, maybe Mm -hmm. a community may be not part of your self-service, but I'm trying to imagine like where would a knowledge base or in-app tutorial or videos not be part of, you know, a customer's business to drive um, education on how to use their solution. So I'm, I'm a fan in that. I think it's suitable for all users, you know, documentation, customer marketing, you know, all those things are beneficial for users to drive people, you know, through your journey, through learning your solution and engagement. It seems invaluable to me. And it's, it's just something that if you want to scale, um, and who doesn't? It seems right. like a no-brainer that it that it should be done. Um, certainly, not all components may not fit, but in general, some sort of digital program seems warranted. And and I have yet to see where it's where it's not valuable. Yeah, I think some companies, um, and I'd love to get your take on this. Maybe feel like the human touch, that high touch type of program, white glove service is sort of the gold standard and that anything less than that is not good or suboptimal. And I think um, it's important for people to think really broadly about what a digital program can be and what, um, you know, how good it can be and what a great experience it can be for some people who would frankly rather not talk to another person to get the help they need. Um, I'd love your take on that because I, I have to explain that to a lot of our clients that Mm -hmm. we're not talking about a great program for your biggest customers and then a crappy program for your smaller customers. It's a great program. It's just being delivered in different ways. I, I agree with you. I think you said that really well. And I, I know I've worked with some, um, businesses where Mm -hmm. they, they'll actually say our customers just love that we're like right there, that we provide that white glove experience. And if we take it away, it it might, you know, it's a differentiator for us, but you know, it comes back to like, does that really scale? Does it really warrant that sort of white glove experience? And how can you use digital to either complement or, or sometimes frankly replace there are times I know, right. you know, when I was at um, Insightly, we had to shift our model around who was getting what types of service. And we mm-hmm. had to scale back on CSMs so that they could do more scalable things so that we could provide mm-hmm. an overall better experience for everyone. And so I, th- I think it's not, right. um, some of it is about just re-educating your customers about time and what's more valuable for them and for you. And most will understand that. And that many things can be provided 
you know, better and, and frankly, more consistently if it's done in a, in a digital way. And again, it's not to mm-hmm. say I agree. And I think scenarios, um, but it can complement. Right. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I think you can have a really wonderful digital experience. Um, and I, I would argue with the people that say that, you know, oh, what, what would happen if we got rid of our white glove service? Our customers love it. They might love even more having a digital experience that's had a lot of thought given to it and, you know, really is anticipating their needs. They may love that even more. You just haven't tried it. So I think it's always worth trying some digital things to see how they work. Sure. And you iterate from there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Last question. And this is the one that we ask all of our guests. It gives you a chance to off-road a little if you want to. Uh, What do you see as the biggest trend in customer success right now and why? I would say two things. One is the broadening of uh, CS you know, customer success solutions and, and platforms that cover, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's not just tool that, that is used for a CSM, but also a, a platform where uh, a solution also provides sort of product analytics, as well as being able to close the loop with your customers, perhaps on a new feature, or even measure measurement like mm-hmm. NPS. So I'm seeing mm-hmm. sort of a broader landscape around customer success solutions and and how that covers mm-hmm. whether it's product analytics, customer success, traditional sort of function and playbooks to the ability to sort of better close the loop with customers and being able to measure, you know, how your customers feel about you. So I'm seeing that sort of an, call it end to end sort mm-hmm. of one platform or solution would be one thing. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing I would say is, and I, I think certainly warranted and maybe even warranted long ago, is sort of the elevation of just customer success by things like I'm seeing more and more chief customer officer roles, where it used to just be like VP mm-hmm. of customer success. And you know why would you not have a chief customer officer if you have a chief revenue officer? The, the customer success function right. is one of the broadest and deepest functions compared to mm-hmm. whether it's product marketing or sales. And, you know, elevating that function, that function oftentimes has the largest revenue goal because you get so much from your existing customer base. Right. And you, I even see more customer success leaders being hired sooner Mm-hmm. almost at the same time as a sales leader, which is really, if you can do it, do it. Oftentimes I have, you know, mm-hmm. clients or customers come to me when they're like, we have a renewal problem or our customers are churning or they're not growing. So I don't want to say it's too late. You can always correct, but get ahead of the problem before it comes. If you get customers, you're going to have to renew them. So have that senior role. Right. Um, and, and those titles that really warrant this, this function as someone that is a C-level role. Yeah, I I see that trend too. And it's exciting. I I would say even in the four years that I've been running the Success League, I've seen a real shift in that. Um, You know, one of the reasons why I started the Success League is because I felt like there was 
a lack of leadership in earlier stage companies around this function. And I've seen that really shift. Even in the last two years, I've seen that really shift. So it's an exciting trend for our field. I would agree. I think it's it's good to see, and, and I'm certainly excited about it. Lynn, I know this is a topic that is of interest to everyone who listens to this podcast. I get tons of questions about it, and I really appreciate you coming on the show today to talk about your experience at Insightly. Thank you so much for all of your practical tips for the group and ideas on how you approached your program. I really appreciate your time today. Well, thank you very much. I always welcome the opportunity to do joint podcasts or participate in panels and events and just love sharing um, tips. And and I know I always learn as well. So thank you for having me. And I certainly enjoy sort of advocating for customer success as a a function and and an executive role. And if people want to reach out to me, they should certainly feel free to. And it's my first name, my last name at gmail.com. So L-Y-N-N-T- S-O-F-L-I-A-S at gmail.com. Or they can certainly just send me a LinkedIn message. Thanks, Lynn. I also want to thank our sponsors, Strike Deck and the Success League. To learn more about Strike Deck, you can visit strikedeck.com and follow Strike Deck on LinkedIn or at Strike Deck on Twitter. To find out more about the Success League, please visit our website, thesuccessleague.io, and follow the Success League on LinkedIn or at TSL Customers on Twitter. To get all of the latest episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And finally, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.